You're listening to Pastor Greg Voorhees, recorded at Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church, Sunday, May 7, 2023. For more information about SVBC, you can visit their website, svbcfamily.com, or you can find them on all things social, at svbcfamily. Jesus has no rival. He has no equal. We look at Revelations. We see the question asked, who's worthy to crack open the seals? Who's, who's worthy? There's only one, Messiah Jesus. There's, there's no God that man has ever created and has thought or fashioned out of metal or wood that, that can equal Jesus, the creator of heaven and earth. <clears throat> what a powerful name that is. You know, the song before, we're going to be talking about life in the spirit today. But I, when, the song before that, it, it talked about religion and tradition. And I can see where this ties in because sometimes I think religion and tradition gets in the way of living life in the Spirit. What does that mean? Religion is the one that, that, that I want to focus on the most because what is religion? Do I, do I consider myself a religious person? Absolutely not. I, I think, and this is why, my definition of religion is what we do to try to reach God. It's the stuff we do, whether it be trying to live the perfect life, which I'm going to tell you ain't going to happen, whether it's because you try to live the perfect life whether you try to go into the ministry because you, you think that that would make God happy that if you're working for him, if he's the boss, the boss of your job. It doesn't matter what you do, whether it's another religion who's trying to get to God, but in all the wrong ways, whether it's meditation or, or praying the trees or whatever the case may be. Religion is us trying to reach God. Christianity is not a religion. If it's right, many people turn Christianity into a religion. They put it in there with all the others, just so it becomes just in the mix with everything else. You, you got Buddhism, New Ageism, Christianity. It's, it's, it's all. When we are trying to reach God, it all becomes the same stuff. Christianity is a relationship. It's a relationship with the Most High God. So if we try to please God with our religion, our attempts to reach Him or, or to be worthy, or even our tradition, the way we do it, we're going to keep falling short. Because guess what? Your arms aren't long enough to reach to touch God. But God's arms are long enough and He has to reach you. That's the big difference. Everybody else is trying to figure out how to get to God. Christianity recognizes that he came to us. He came to us. You look at the history of Israel, even before Jesus came in the flesh. The whole Old Testament is not about the people of Israel earning God's favor. It's about Israel's unmerited favor and God going over and over and over above the great lengths to save the people of Israel. It was never religion. 
From the, from the day of Adam and Eve, it has never been a religion. God has always been about relationship. That's why you were here. We talked about that. What's my purpose? It's to be in a relationship with God. So if you are in a right standing, and you're, you're living in a life led by the Spirit, you're focusing on your relationship with Christ and not the stuff that you do to make Him happy. You want to know how to make Jesus happy? Give Him your heart. You want to know how to make Jesus happy? Is when you fall down. You're like, Jesus, pick me up. That's what He wants. He doesn't care about your degrees. He doesn't care about your job or any of these things. When it comes to your relationship, when it comes to your relationship with it, all he wants is your heart. You can't earn his favor. You can't earn the, the merit that it takes to reach heaven and, and, and to earn his favor. He gave it to you. It was a gift. That's what Christianity is. So when we live in the Spirit, and we're going to talk about here what that looks like, it's about just being connected with the, the Spirit and wanting to pursue Christ and the relationship that He so desires to have with you. He did all the work. He did all the work. You don't have to. And we talked about repentance like recently. I don't know if it was in Sunday school or, or in church. It just all blends together in my head. I'm, what's the deal with repentance? Is repentance important? Repentance is absolutely important. Do I believe that repentance and, and is a requirement for forgiveness? I actually don't. Why? Why do I believe that way? Because my forgiveness was won at the cross. So nothing I can do outside of accepting that free gift has to do with forgiveness. It's the acceptance of that forgiveness that was given to me so freely. What is repentance? Why is it important? Why do we still say repent for the kingdom of God's at hand? Why was John the Baptist the greatest prophet that ever lived? Because he was saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. What is so important about repentance? It is important when it comes to living with the Spirit. Repentance is when you realize that you've done something wrong. It's coming into agreement with God saying, I get that I was wrong. You were right, I'm wrong. You know, and that's, that's huge. Part of a relationship is understanding that when you're wrong and you're not on the same page, and this is where it gets easy with us and God. He's the one that's always right. <laughs> he just is. And I know we as husbands and you as wives, you like to try to claim that yourself too, but God's the only one that really has true claim to that. He's the only one that's right all the time. So when our thought processes and our actions and the things that we do conflicts with the Word of God, then we need to agree with Him that we are messing up. What's the other part of repentance? What, is the, what does it mean? It's this Hebrew, not Hebrew, it's, it's, it's this Greek word, teshuva. It means to turn. So not only part of, of, of your repentance is agreeing with God that you were wrong, it's to turn from what you were doing and to try to stop doing the wrong thing. Will you always do it on the first attempt? Absolutely, you will not always get it right on the first attempt. That's why repentance sometimes is over and over and over and over. You're forgiven anyway. I don't want you to think that if, 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 and this is the problem that we run into with religion and tradition. I've seen this. I've seen people say, I wonder if I get to heaven and there's some sin that I didn't repent of. That there's some sin that I didn't say I was sorry for. Is it going to gig me in the afterlife? You know, I've been taught this in church. 
as a young person, that when it comes to this time of, remind you, there are two judgments, the judgment of the righteous and the judgment of the ones who aren't making it. They look very different. The, 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 what we would call the, the judgment of the righteous is basically a pat on the back of, hey, look at the cool stuff you did. Because Paul tells us that there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. You're not condemned. You are forgiven. But I have been taught in church when I was younger that it was almost like the gigantic jumbotron. You know at the ball game, you go and play baseball, you go watch the ball game, you go to the Camden Yards if you're an Oriole fan, they got the big jumbotron. And I was always almost taught, if not in these words, this concept that the stuff that you don't ask for forgiveness for in the afterlife, when it comes to the time of the judgment of the righteous, that you're going to see your sins and the world's going to see that your sins on the jumbotron. And it's on the, like, is that what the Word of God says? I don't see that. What I see is that at the cross, when I accepted that relationship with Jesus, it was a forgiveness of all my sins. I don't have to repent to get forgiveness of all of those sins. I don't have to make a list. God, forgive me for the time I stretched the truth yesterday. Forgive me for the time that maybe I looked at somebody the way I shouldn't. Forgive me for the time I, I used a curse word I shouldn't. There shouldn't. There's not a list that you have to go down through to live in the Spirit to be forgiven. If you are in a relationship with, relationship with Christ, you are forgiven. It's already there. It's already there. Stop beating yourself up over stuff you've done when God doesn't hold it against you. Who are you to hold your sin above your head if the king, the most high king, says you're forgiven? Who are you to hold that above your own head? The king of kings says you are forgiven. The king of kings says that when you have accepted a relationship with me, it is all washed away. The Bible tells us he throws it as far as from the east into the west. It says he throws it into a sea of forgetfulness. It's gone. Quit beating yourself up, church. You need to repent to live in a life of the Spirit. You need to agree with God when you've done things wrong that you've made a mistake. And you need to try to turn from it. But stop beating yourself up. You have been given a grace. You have been shown mercy. Jesus has bought you back. He has ransomed you. He has paid the price for you. There is no reason for you to walk defeated. There is no reason for you to walk condemned. Because if you're not condemned by Christ, why should you be condemned by man? Why should you be condemned by yourself? It's gone. And this isn't even what the sermon's about. But it's true. We love beating each other up, and we love beating ourselves up for the mistakes we've made. If you've said, Jesus, I need you, it's gone. It's gone. If somebody wants to judge you by your past, that's their problem. That's not yours. Your relationship with Christ says you are free. Your relationship with Christ says you are forgiven. Your relationship with Christ says it doesn't matter how bad you've jacked yourself up or how bad the things are you've done. It is forgiven. One drop, that's all it would have taken. One drop of the blood of the Savior and the sins of the world would be forgiven. That's where forgiveness lies. It is in your relationship with Jesus. It's not repentance is even a thing. It's an action. This is a thing that you do. It doesn't require anything other than your relationship with Christ. 
But to live in the Spirit, repentance is important. And the repentance is not about religion. It's not about what you're doing to try to earn the favor of God. It has to do with the fact that you're just agreeing with God about what you've done and the fact that you want to try to not do it again. And here's the thing. Some of us have real, have, have, have addictions. Some of us have propensities to do things. So even Paul says, mind you, this is the apostle Paul, the guy that wrote most of the New Testament. Why do I do the stuff that I don't like to do? I even have a thorn in my side. I've asked the Lord to take it. And it's like, we don't know what that is. It could have been something he was struggling with. Who knows? We always like to fill in those blanks for ourselves, but who knows? But we do know. We do know that that same Paul said there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that you are free. So even repentance. Repentance is important. Repentance is so important. Don't think I'm underplaying the importance of repentance when I say that I don't believe it's a requirement for forgiveness. Acceptance of the relationship with Christ, that's where forgiveness is found. But repentance is so important when it comes to living a life in the, in the Spirit, living a life that pleases God. It's so important for us to identify and ask the Holy Spirit to convict us. Well, that's something we don't like to hear very often anymore. We live in a society that everything's okay, and we don't want to feel conviction because, well, you feel guilty. Do you realize there's a difference between guilt and conviction? Here's a huge concept that the church misses. Guilt is, you're so bad, you're so bad, you're so bad. You screwed up, you screwed up, you screwed up. You're so bad, you're so bad, you're so bad. You're a horrible person. That's guilt. Where does guilt come from? Hell. Hell. Where does it come from? The accuser of man. The devil himself. If you're feeling guilt, you're being attacked by the devil himself because he's your accuser. What is conviction? A conviction is the, the thing the Holy Spirit does. He can put a heaviness on your heart that, you know what, I'm messing up. I need to do better. Do you realize you can have a heaviness in your heart about doing wrong without being, feeling guilt? God doesn't beat you up. The devil beats you up. So when the Holy Spirit is convicting you and you're feeling a heaviness in your heart and you're feeling a heaviness in your spirit, it's because God needs you to repent. He needs you to agree with him that there's something you're doing that's not right and you need to try to turn from it. That is so key to a life living in the Spirit. Now we'll get to the sermon. Fortunately for you, I think there's only like seven slides. There's my clicker. Yeah, that song, what a beautiful name it is. By the way, the, uh, I was doing the bulletins at 3 o'clock in the morning. That's why I messed up the bulletin. It was not how great is our God. It was what a beautiful name it is. That song gets me ramped up. It just does. All right. We're going to look at Galatians. Now my Norton is covering my, my thing, saying, i got a status update. Okay. Life in the Spirit. Galatians 5. We're going to read all the way through, I think, I think 24. But it's uh, 13 through 15. It says this. You, my brothers, and this is Paul. I've not dealt a whole lot with Paul yet. Here's the thing about the Bible. 
I've been here, what, seven months now, six, seven months now, not really even, not really even preached a single sermon out of Paul. Why? Because there's so much, you could preach years on any of these things, but it's important now that we start looking at Paul. Why is that? In, in fact, the, the way I really feel the Spirit leading me is after next week's, next week's Mother's Day, we've got to talk about you mamas. But the week after that, I'm feeling a, a direction of looking at the, the, the entire book of Romans, which is Christianity 101. And it's, it's important that we, that we understand these concepts. But I'm going to look at Paul today because he was a pretty insightful guy. Galatians 5, 13 through 15 says this, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. So you are free. But here's a mistake that, that we were talking about in Sunday school. Solomon, there's nothing new under the sun. You, you know, this is the stuff, that, the stuff that's been going on forever is going to continue to go on forever until Jesus comes back. It's just the way it is. But this thing about you were calling to be free not to indulge in the flesh. Here's the thing, that even though you are free, everything may be permissible, but not everything is beneficial. There are things that you can do that you might not come under a condemnation for, but when you do it, it's not beneficial in your life. It could be steering you away from a life in the Spirit. And I'm just going to use this as an example, because drunkenness comes up. Just Alcohol. You know, there's nothing, you know, Jesus' first miracle was keeping the party going. So this isn't, a, this isn't a sermon about alcohol. This really isn't. However, even if, regardless of what your position is on alcohol, if everything's permissible but not beneficial, here's how that works. It may be okay for you to drink. But is it always beneficial? And there's a difference between having a glass of wine here and there or drinking drinking. Because what happens when you drink drink? You have a way of, of going to that more and more. And it becomes, it, becomes, it becomes part of your thought process. And it becomes the thing that you lean to. When you get sad or depressed, sometimes you start leaning away from the spirit and leaning to the, to the alcohol. Why is that? Because it's easier. Here's the thing about a relationship with God. It's not always easy. Sometimes when God is calling you to walk away from sin, it's hard. So sometimes it's easier for us in our flesh to say, okay, instead of going to God because he's going to want me to give something up, maybe I can deal with this with alcohol. And, and, and what, so what can that do? That can be a way of steering you in a wrong direction. Because if you're depending on anything, I'm just using alcohol as an example. This is not an alcohol sermon. I'm just using this as an example. If you start leaning to alcohol instead of the Spirit, you're not walking a life in the Spirit. But why do we do that? Because it's easy. It's easy. You know, it's... You can buy a good bottle of wine for 15 bucks, then it can make you forget what's, what, what's ailing you. But is that beneficial to your walk with God? Is it? I'd say it's not. 
Again, this, is, this isn't an alcohol discussion. But, it's, but what I'm pointing out is there's some things, even though we are free and we may have the ability to do certain things, it's not always the best thing to do. And, and there's a degree of individuality here too. I've got a friend, he's a pastor now, from the first time he drank alcohol, he spent years as, as an alcoholic. <laughs> In and out of rehab. Threw away a family. I mean, so for some people, it's just, it becomes too easy. So we have to be careful. We have to be careful. I'm, again, I'm not telling you, don't drink alcohol. You, you, you know, I'm a Baptist pastor, but I'm, I'm not saying that's not what it's about. It's about not doing things. Sometimes we, there's a struggle. There's a struggle always for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commitment. Love your neighbors yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, for you will be destroyed by each other. So, so I'm not shifting gears here, but, but we're looking at another piece now. We're looking at sometimes you have to not do what the flesh wants you to do, not to go the path of least resistance, not to do the easy thing. Well, now Paul moves into the way we treat each other. When we live and walk in the Spirit, we will love each other. How does Jesus say you will know that you belong to him? For your love for one another. He wants you to walk humbly and to love one another. Because what happens? If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. This applies to your job. This applies to your family. This applies to your church. If you want to bite and devour each other, you will destroy each other. Your family will cease to exist if you continue to bite and devour each other. Your church will cease to exist if you continue to bite and devour one another. Your family, your job, all these things will cease to exist if you bite and devour each other. You will destroy yourselves. You can destroy your family, you can destroy your job, you can destroy your church by biting and devouring. Pick, 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 pick. <laughs> And that's in every aspect of your life. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. You realize there's a war in you every single day? Every single day. There are two pieces to you that are at war with one another. You know, the Native Americans, had a, they had a story that kind of describes this. They, they would say that each person had a wolf, a good wolf and a bad wolf in, in, in you. And whichever wolf you fed is the one who, who would conquer the other. Well, that's a Native American thing. That, that, that's just kind of, a, kind of a nice saying, but there's truth in it. There is a struggle in every single one of us. Your flesh wants to do one thing. Your spirit wants to do something else. And they're at war with one another. Because when you're walking in the spirit, the flesh part of you doesn't feel comfortable. When you're walking in the flesh, the spirit part of you doesn't feel comfortable. And they're at war with another. How do you, how do you win this fight? It's like the wolf. Feed the good wolf. What do, what do I mean? Ask God to help me. 
Help me, God. I understand that even though the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. I need to be able to tell my father, I need to be able to cry out to my Jesus that I must decrease and you must increase. That's how you win the war. Mind you, when I talk about winning the war, there's lots of battles. You're going to lose battles. You're going to do the wrong thing. But this then comes back to the forgiveness thing and the repentance thing. Don't beat yourself up when, when the flesh takes over, when the flesh is stronger than your spirit. Don't beat yourself up over that. You were forgiven for that. But repent. Tell God I've messed up. I need your help. Well, here's the thing. Some of these sins, some of these fleshly things that we deal with, they have such a grip in their lives that sometimes the beginning point is to say, God, help me to want to stop sinning. I say this all the time about forgiveness. It's true with this. Forgiveness and the desire to let the Spirit be the prevalent thing in their lives, sometimes, like with forgiveness, when somebody's done something really, 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 really horrible to you, sometimes the first step is, God, help me to want to forgive. Because you can't even sometimes want to when you're walking in the flesh. But sometimes when it comes to just fleshly things, fleshly things, sometimes we have to ask God. And I'm just using this again as an example. Drinking. Say, I drink a lot. God, I don't want to give it up. Help me to want to give it up. I'm leaning it on you, on, on it instead of you. I, I don't want to give it up. Sometimes that first step is help me to want to walk in the Spirit. Help me to want to forgive. Because you want to know what? Because you are flesh and blood, flesh and bone, flesh and blood, this is a monster you have to wrangle with. Even though you get a new nature when you accept Christ, you still have to deal with the flesh. The war starts when you say, I do to Jesus. That's when the war starts. That, that's, that's when the, the struggle between the spirit and the flesh really begins. And we have to ask God, help me. Help me. Because what the spirit wants, the flesh doesn't. What the flesh wants, the spirit doesn't. They are in conflict, one with each other, each with, with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What does that mean? If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. First of all, if you are in a relationship with Christ, you now fall under grace. You do. However, do we still have to wrangle with the law? We absolutely do. Here's the thing with the law, and this is something that it seems like the Christian church misses because of what happened on, at Calvary. They've kind of dismissed the law. The only, and I've heard this, I've heard this from a preacher, that there's the old law and there's the new law. Well, guess what? There's no new law. It's all the same thing. 
What is the only difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament? It's who pays the price. That's the only thing that's different between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The stuff you read in the beginning, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, Joshua, all of these things, they still apply. If God said it was wrong thousands of years ago, it's still wrong. But who pays the price? That's the only thing that's different. So we do still have to wrangle with the law. Why do we wrangle with the law? Because the law is what tells us what is right and what's wrong. What is the purpose of the law in the life of people after the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ? It's a schoolmaster. It's a teacher. It shows you what's right, and it shows you what's wrong. And your job as a believer in Jesus is to know the law and to try to abide by the law. Not because you're earning the merit of God, but because this is what he says is right and what's wrong. The old sins are still the same sins. I don't care what society tells you today. Society will tell you there are things okay now that weren't okay a thousand years ago. That's a lie from hell. The stuff that was wrong back in the time of Moses is still wrong today. But if we are walking in the Spirit, if we are loving one another, if we are loving God and loving people, why are we not under the law? Because when we make that our priority and we make that the point of our life to love God and to love people, then we just naturally do the right thing. Because you know that love covers sin, abounding sin. Your love, your relationship with Christ and your love for one another is what saves you from law. And when you, when you, but you still need to know it because you need to know what makes God happy. You need to know what makes him sad. You need to know what makes him, what he says is right and what he says is wrong. That hasn't changed. But when you walk in love with your God and with others, you're not falling under the law. You're falling under the grace. For the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Debauchery. Well, there's a fancy word. I looked up the Webster's Dictionary version. The Webster's Dictionary is excessive indulgence in sensual things. So when, when you're excessively indulging in, in, in sensual things, particularly, absolutely outside of the context of marriage, you got debauchery, idolatry. What is idolatry? It's putting things in the place of where God should be. You realize an idol is a God? What is a God? A God is a thing that you put first. You know, when I was in recovery ministry, I was never in recovery before I was handed the recovery ministry. So when I got that first step to realize that I'm not God, I thought it was kind of funny. Of course I'm not God. You want to know what? When you dig into what that means, it's not that simple. You know, you can try to be your own God. 
You can try to take the reins of your own life with disregard of what the Spirit wants. That's living in the flesh. Idolatry, putting God before first, putting things, stuff, people, or yourself in front of God. Witchcraft. Talk about witchcraft. What is witchcraft? Is that a real thing? Or is that just, is that like a Casper the Friendly Ghost stuff? Is it, or is that real? That is absolutely real stuff. There are people who call on the dark side to try to influence people and things. That is what witchcraft is. Where we pray to God and we pray through Jesus to our Father in heaven to try to move the hand of God, that's prayer, that's relationship. But if you are praying to anything else, either to the devil himself or to any other source other than God, which let me tell you what is the devil, to try to influence something that is witchcraft. You don't think, I'll tell you, I know people who do this. I know people who, 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 who are very proud of the, the fact that they're wicked witches. Very proud. This, is not, this isn't storybook stuff. This is real spiritual stuff. Because just like you call to God, other people call to other gods. And why do they do it? To influence people, to influence situations. That's witchcraft. Hatred. Well, that's self-explanatory. You realize the Bible tells us that you can't have hatred in your heart for your brother and love for God in the same heart. You either love God and love people, or if you hate people, guess what? You hate God. It's there. You can argue with John about it. Don't, it's not my argument. Discord. That's tearing up a stuff. There are two things in all Paul's writings that just jump out at me. Grace, unity. Grace, unity. It seems like everything he writes about is grace or unity. So when Paul says that, that when you're living a, a fleshly life, it, it ends in discord. He's saying that there's not unity, a life that's not unified, a family that's not unified, a workplace that's not unified, a church that's not unified. And you know, a workplace, a family, and a church that's not unified is not in the will of God. It just isn't. It just isn't. God is a God of unity. He's a God of order. He's not a God of discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. You know, when you're, when you're doing the little backdoor stuff to try to get someplace, that's a sin. You know what? God has called you to a place. He's going to get you there if you choose to follow him. You don't have to backdoor deal anybody. God places you, not man. I'm standing right here, not because of your vote, believe it or not. It's because God stuck me here. Had nothing to do with the vote. Dissensions. What is dissensions? Dissensions are disagreements that cause what? Discord. Do you think when there's dissension in your family, your work, or your church, that it's not causing discord? Well, that leads right into the next thing factions. Whenever you have disagreements, that turn into discord, you get factions. You get to them and the, the us and the them. 
you will get subgroups within the big group, and they're not unified. Guess what? You can argue with Paul about it, but that's sin. Factions. When, they, when they're, the factions are caused by discord or disunity, it's sin. Envy. Drunkenness. Orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why is that? Because if you're not living in the Spirit, and here's the thing that, here's the thing I wrangle with. Here's the thing I wrangle with so much. I am very much one of these, th- these people who, if, 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 if you have given yourself to God and you now belong to God, that nothing can separate you from God. However, the, the, the problem we run into, sorry, I drew a blank there for a second. <laughs> the problem we run into, though, is, is we think that, that we can not inherit the kingdom of God because we do things, stuff. But here's the problem. With these things, it's because it's these, the selfish ambition, the dissensions, the factions, the envy, the drunkenness. It's because you've made that your idol. The people who have idols don't have a relationship with Christ. So here's my struggle. This is where I was going. It came back. Thank you, Jesus. I've seen many, many people who, because you get a good preacher, will get the emotion stirring, and they'll say, raise your hand if you love Jesus, and they'll raise their hand. But it's an emotional response, and it doesn't end up being a decision. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen that? Don't let anything I ever say cause an emotional response in you. I don't want your emotions. I want your decisions to follow Christ. So there are times that we will say, hey, yes, I want to follow Jesus. But we still have these idols. We still live this way. And we're not walking in the Spirit. I have to wonder. And mind you, particularly when you're a new Christian, you're going to mess up even more and more and more because you're a baby Christian. You will. As you mature, it gets not necessarily easier. The struggle becomes different. But if you're not living in the Spirit, if you you raise your hand to say, I want to follow Jesus, and you disregard everything He's told you to do, was it a decision or an emotional response? I love hand raises. Don't get me wrong. I pray for hand raises. God, if, if you move, if the Spirit moves for me to, 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 to go that direction, and I ask people to raise their hand, please, God, let there be hand raises. So I'm not, I'm not trying to deter you from raising your hand. But what I want you to do is not be stirred by emotion, but to make a decision to follow Christ, no matter what it looks like. And if you make that legitimate decision and you're walking in the Spirit, you absolutely will inherit the kingdom of God. And we're going to land this plane. But the fruit of the Spirit of this, what does this mean, the fruit of the Spirit? If you have made a decision to follow Christ, 
even if you were like a train wreck for many years after, after making that decision, even if you're a train wreck for decades after making the decision to follow Christ, you will start bearing good fruit. And what are those fruit? This is your, your wake-up chat, folks. This is, this is the indicator if you are living a life in the Spirit or not in the flesh. Am I starting to see this in my life? Are you starting to love? Do you love somebody you never loved before? Do you care about some starving kid on the other side of the world you never saw enough to spend $39 to sponsor them? Do you, if you see the, the beggar along the street begging for money, does it at least stir something in you that it never did before? Let me tell you what, that's love. Joy. Joy is that thing. There's a big difference between joy and happiness. I believe that we can be not happy <laughs> and still be Christian. Why? Because happiness is an emotion. Joy is something deeper. Joy is something that runs much deeper, and it sources God, and it's not your circumstance. So your circumstance may make you happy or sad, but when you have joy, what is joy? It's when the crap is hitting the fan, and there's still just something in there that makes you want to keep going on. There's still that something in you that says, okay, there is going to be a brighter day. Or here's a big one. You can go way out. You can go to the, the, the far extreme and be like Paul, be in prison in chains and still praising the Lord. That's joy. If you're feeling love that you didn't feel before, joy that you didn't feel before, a peace. Peace is huge. Jesus, Jesus over and over and over talked about peace. What is this peace? A peace that the world can't give and the world can't take away. That no matter if you're in the fire, if you still have this thing in you that says, I'm okay. That's peace. It doesn't matter if my life is a train wreck and I'm in the fire and I feel like I'm in a riptide being sucked out into the ocean. If I still, there's just this little teeny tiny piece of me that feels like I'm okay. That's peace. Faithfulness. If you're faithful, if you're showing a faithfulness toward God and a faithfulness to your brothers and sisters and a faithfulness to your love and this commitment to these other things, and you're, you're feeling, you're, you're becoming more and more consistent. That's a fruit of the Spirit. When you're walking in the Spirit, this is what happens to you. This is what happens to you. Gentleness and self-control. Gentleness sometimes has been hard for me. When I was younger, believe it or not, you might not believe this about me, I, was a, I had a bit of a hothead. I did. I was hot-headed. When I was a teenager, there might have been a hole or two in the wall at my parents' house. It might have happened because of me. May or may not. I'm not admitting anything. But over decades, I still sometimes get a little hot-headed. But that, that feeling of, of, of wanting to make peace and, and, and to not have a strong response to any stimulus, 
That, 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 that gentle response, that's, that's, that's a thing that comes only from the Holy Spirit. Because let me tell you what, it's not in my nature. It's not in my nature. Guess what? It's not in yours either. Self-control. The ability to not do something that you don't want to do. The ability to not do something that the law tells us to sin. This is all stuff that are fruit of the Spirit. So when you're living in the Spirit, these things grow in you. And let me tell you what, for some of you, it'll be a faster journey than others. Let me tell you what I've learned is, I've planted trees. I've got a tree in one part of my yard. I bought it from Walmart. It was about this tall. And it seemed like in a matter of two, three years, it was a big tree. It's still a big tree. I think it's disease now. I pray for my tree. <laughs> but I have also planted trees when I was younger. They were like little guys, and they're still not that big. So fruit and growth comes at different rates depending on your nature and the thing that God is doing in your life. So here, why would I point that out? Because if you are still seeing just a little bit of this fruit in the Spirit, and you said yes to Jesus 15 years ago, trust in the process. But make sure that there's still growth. Because if you genuinely said, Jesus, I want to follow you, and the growth has stopped, it might be time to say, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. It may be time to say, God, I'm messing up and repent. See, I realize I'm, because here's where growth stops. Here's where growth gets stunted when you walk in the flesh. So just because the, the fruit of the Spirit might not be growing super fast in you right now, it may be a situation where you need to repent and to begin to walk in the Spirit once again. It doesn't mean that you've lost your salvation. That's not what it says. A good tree always produces good fruit. But if your fruit isn't growing that fast, say, God, show me what I'm doing. I want to repent. And there are some people, I don't know why it is, it seems like they, they come to know Jesus, and it's like all of a sudden, whew, they grow like that, that tree in my yard. It's just like, I don't know why that is. God has made every single one of you differently. He loves you the same, but he deals with you differently, and he will sometimes work differently in, in, in how quickly this fruit grows. Don't hate the process, but love the grower. Love the grower. But please, check your life. Are these fruits love, joy, peace, forbearance? Kind of, I skipped over that one. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are they at least existing there in a little teeny tiny bit? Or if they were and they slowed down, say, God, I need to repent. It might be obvious why the growth is slowed down. It might not be so obvious. Sometimes you have to ask the Holy Spirit, show me. Search my heart and show me what I'm doing wrong. But it's because against these things, the love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, against these things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus 
have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Watch your reactions with the, the folks in your family, your workplace, and your church. If you are conceited, provoking, or envying, you're in sinning. You just are. But I want to finish with this thing, being in step with the Spirit. What does that mean? When the Spirit takes a step, you take a step. When the Spirit takes a step, you take a step. And sometimes, sometimes, the Spirit might even take a step back. Guess what you got to do? Take a step back. This, is, this needs to be your prayer. Your prayer needs to be, God, I don't want to live in the flesh. I want to live in the Spirit. Help me to be in step with the Spirit. When the Spirit walks, let me walk. When the Spirit jumps, let me jump. If the Spirit decides to swim, let me swim. Let me be in step with the Spirit. Because let me tell you what, when you're in step with the Spirit, the living by the Spirit becomes easier. The gentleness comes a little bit easier. The love comes a little easier. The self-control comes a little easier. Comes a little easier. I want nothing more in the life of this church than a bunch of people sitting out there in step with the Spirit. Because when you're in step with the Spirit, all these things that are talked about that are wrong, the devouring, the, the biting, the dissension, the factions, all this stuff when you're walking in the Spirit and, and stepping in step with the Spirit, those things should not happen. But when you're walking in the flesh, walking in the way of Satan, they will. 